Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. All right, the two stories related to quote-unquote good Samaritans uh, in the news. I'm going to actually hold for a conversation tomorrow with Daryl Crouch in our um, From the Living Word of God to Living the Word of God. We're going to actually look at the Good Samaritan passage of Scripture together, and we're going to talk about what it actually means and where is it rightly applied. So check out those two Good Samaritan stories in the news today, or at least listen to what other people are saying about the quote-unquote Good Samaritans, one in a mall shooting in uh, in Indiana and uh, and another man who was driving by and saw a house on fire and stopped and saved six lives. So I want you to consider, um, <clears throat> consider those stories in anticipation of actually unpacking that passage of Scripture tomorrow here with Daryl Crouch. I want to lead off with uh, a headline here um, out of Washington, D.C., and it's unusual. So one person's proposed renovation is another person's desecration. Just think about that for just a moment. One person's proposed renovation is another person's desecration. So at issue is the proposed renovation of the iconic reading room, the main reading room at the Library of Congress. If you've ever been there, um, then then a visual of it probably comes immediately to your mind. It has this iconic mahogany librarian's desk that sits at the very center of the room. It rises like 16 feet um, from the floor. It literally anchors the function and purpose of the rest of the room, and it sits under this, you know, uh, wonderful, um, a glorious reading room dome. And um, because the function of the librarian's desk has largely been replaced by computers, those people who are in charge of renovating things, think, you know, we don't really need that desk anymore. And so they have proposed removing the uh, mahogany desk that really does, like, anchor this 19th century room um, and replacing it with a glass floor so that people on the floor below can see the dome above without ever having to come into the reading room. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's what's going on. And um, the D.C. Preservation League said, hey, not so fast, and added this proposal to its 2022 list of most endangered places, which got me thinking. If you were to make a most endangered places list, think about that for just a minute, most endangered places, what would be on your list? As I look around, the family dinner table would be on my 2022 most endangered places list. The family farm might make your list of the most endangered places. Maybe Main Street America. Maybe the local church. What's on your list? What would make your list of the most endangered places? Um, this got me uh, thinking about Jesus in John 14, 
assuring us that he goes to prepare a place for us and that he's coming again to receive us to himself, that where he is, there we may be also. Yeah, that's not an endangered place. That's the greatest place of safety, eternally secure. What makes your most endangered places list? You can text me at 877-933-2484. We're going to get our Check up next with Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. A couple of headlines uh, here related to health. Topping the news this morning, masks are back as COVID BA5 uh, reinfections are evading immunity from both vaccines and prior infection. We're going to talk about that. Ghana is now reporting cases of the deadly Marburg virus. Um, That's more of of a world health alert than anything else this morning. And the heat is on. Wildfires are raging across portions of Europe and Portugal alone. Portugal alone is reporting more than a thousand heat related deaths. Our physical bodies matter. Taking care of them matters. So we're going to check in for a checkup with Dr. Brett Nix. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge and this is Faith Radio. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears without crying. Dr. Brett Nix is back. Uh, he serves with the Christian Medical and Dental Association. He's also, you know, a regular doctor. And you can find him at brettnixmd.com. Hey, Brett, good morning. Hey, Carmen. Happy Tuesday. How are you this morning? Happy Tuesday. It is well with my soul, my friend. It is well with my Outstanding. soul. Outstanding. That's yeah. great to hear. Um, COVID. COVID is not gone, much to my chagrin and wishing. Um, it, there is a new or latest Omicron subvariant. All words, I am pretty sure that two years ago or three years ago, I would not have known how to use appropriately in a sentence. Um, and certainly I, I didn't know about, uh oh, it sounds like a vitamin, but it's not BA5. Yeah, I tell you, it's fascinating. I mean, you're right. Step back a couple of years ago and when we started talking about COVID, we were hoping it would be you know, here and gone within a year's time, uh, maybe less. And now we are looking at variant after subvariant. Uh, you know, fascinating when you look at this. Uh, yeah, as you report case to case exposures and uh, Omicron BA5 in the U.S., numbers continue to increase. But it's interesting. Let's take a step back and think in January we were talking about Omicron at that point in time. And that was the last time we had a massive peak here across the U.S., And just we'll put it in perspective and then we'll dive into BA5 a little bit. Uh, As of February 2022, this year, uh, half of the U.S., half of Americans have had some version of COVID at some point in time. So 50 percent of the population. So only half, which is interesting. Uh, And now we're looking at BA5, which is this Omicron subvariant. If you look at China right now, they're navigating about 10 different subvariants of Omicron that they have currently in process. And for us, BA5 is the most common one. And what we know to be true is this is a virus. Uh, And so even if you have a vaccine, uh, our body's immunity with that vaccine lasts for a handful of months uh, and then it uh, it diminishes. But let's take a step back as it relates to it. So BA5, what we're finding right now, it's a lot like what you see with the common uh, flu, a lot of people having fevers and aches and chills, a lot of upper respiratory stuff, less GI associated features this time. So not as much vomiting or diarrhea, uh, a lot of congestion, some dry cough. uh, And then, of course, less, less common than we saw early on, the taste changes and things like that. Um, 
But the bottom line for us is we know the vaccines do a couple of simple things. It doesn't prevent the illness. But for those that are at risk, it really diminishes the likelihood that they're going to get very sick. So the seriousness of illness, the likelihood of hospitalization, obviously an associated death. Uh, and so, yeah, it, Omicron is, is here. We see the BA uh, subvariant five and we have areas you know, like L.A. County and others that have gone back to mask mandates because of the numbers that they're seeing on a day to day variability perspective. Uh, and again, uh, it comes down to is this is the next variant. And I suspect, as most of us do, that we'll continue to see different cycles of Omicron, uh, especially as we are now in the summer season approaching our fall, which is our flu season. So it's going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. So how do um you know how do those of you in healthcare uh, I mean it cuz it it does feel like it's sort of in the cycle that never ends but maybe for you the challenges just have different names they never end anyway people are always going to get sick and hurt um so I guess I'm wondering are there are there ways in which um you and your colleagues are um preparing for sort of the next round yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, from a healthcare perspective, as an emergency physician, you know, we're on the front lines. Everything comes in through the door. Uh, one thing we know to be true is something's going to come through the door. You just don't know when it's coming, but you, you know what it's going to be. It could be a heart attack. It could be a stroke. It could be COVID. Uh, and so you're always prepared in that regard. You know, the challenge as it relates to it is no longer is to say, okay, it's coming in a full onslaught and it's going to be gone in a short period of time. Now it's say, okay, this is going to be part of a, a commonplace, normal day-to-day engagement and a consideration. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's we do the normal things from a daily precaution perspective, just like most people in society, which is when you're in an at-risk environment, you wash your hands. You don't touch your face. Uh, you know, if, if I'm in a room that's obviously a concerning one, I'll have, you know, my mask and whatever other types of protective gear that I'll have on. Uh, but the beautiful thing about it is that, uh, you know, I love my job because as an emergency physician, I'm the last person you want to see on the day that you're coming in. Uh, and it's our job to be purveyors of hope, to to bring life to you, regardless of circumstance, uh, to be able to address the concerns from a health perspective uh, and come alongside of our patients. And so if we can do that, it brings joy to what we do, uh, despite the fact that it can be incredibly challenging. I'm reading a book um, in my free time because I haven't scheduled the authors yet, but I'm now angling to do so that I think you will love. Um, it's called Wonder Drug seven scientifically proven ways that serving others is the best medicine for yourself. And it's written by these doctors in New Jersey. Um, And um, so anyway, once I have a book report for you, I will pass that along. But if you need a reading, if you need some summer reading, it is it is really good and really encouraging. Um, Let's um, let's uh, talk uh, next about something that really does plague so many of us, and that is obesity. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Brett Nix in just a moment. You can um, you can check out lots of resources at cmda.org. That's for the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Or you can find Brett directly at brettnixmd.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus, well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. 
You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. We're talking with Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Brett, one um, one little item to pick up uh, on our prior conversation before we move on to a conversation about obesity. Jim in Connecticut says, well, I was hoping to wait to the fall to get my second booster and hoping that maybe the flu shot would be combined with it. If it, uh, it So can you just comment on that? Like, how, how long could we wait to get boosters? And is there any chance that, you know, we're going to have less shots instead of more if it could it be combined with a flu shot? You see the challenge here. People don't want yeah, more shots. No, no, we certainly don't. And I tell you, I would love to say that uh, we have 100% confirmation that it'll be combined. That has been a hot topic for really quite some time. It would be great to be able to do so. You know, recognize that the influenza vaccine that's created each year is based on what we see in the Southern Hemisphere during their winter. And so it's predictive based on those patterns of to which types of influenza uh, the vaccine is built around. You know, recognize right now that our COVID vaccines were all designed for the earlier variants and not the more common subvariants that we're seeing. And so while we have some effectiveness against it, it is not the same as it was when it was designed for the specific variant that we were dealing with, um, you know, as it relates to it. Is if, if you're an individual who has uh, diminished immunity at baseline, you are aged, uh, you know, in your 80s and older, you have issues with obesity that we'll talk about in a minute. You know, you're an individual that is at risk for hospitalization and at risk for serious illness. Uh, you know, if you have a normal pattern that you've established with your doctor, I would continue with that uh, because, of course, those are the people who, who, who gain the greatest benefit from the vaccine. But at this point in time, um, you know, you're looking at another three months. It's July now before the flu vaccine cycles start to roll out uh, in, in its full value. Uh, and so for somebody who is at risk, it's probably a reasonable time. Uh, if that's in your process, to go ahead and consider a vaccine at this time. All right, let's talk about um, weight and let's talk about obesity in particular. Uh, 20 million people globally are suffering acute food shortages and facing starvation, but the opposite issue is the issue in the United States of America. Well, I'll tell you, Carmen, this is a, a situation of one epidemic to another, and we are talking about extremes, as you said. We have issues as far as food shortages globally, And then we have areas of extreme. You know, what's fascinating is over the last 50 years, worldwide obesity has tripled. So let that sink in for just a minute. Over the last 50 years in the U.S., let's take a step back. Obesity in 1990, so 32 years ago, was 15 percent. In 2022, the obesity rates in the U.S., 42.4 percent. That is an exponential climb. And what is amazing, if you think about this, is if you take those that are overweight and then those that are obese, combine them together in the U.S., you're talking about greater than 70 percent of the population. This is an epidemic that has slowly increased. uh, And it's something that, of course, because of sensitivities, we struggle to have a conversation about and really have a difficult time to get our arms around. Uh, It's a complex issue, uh, but it comes at a tremendous cost. What's the difference between being uh, overweight and being obese? You know, it's a great question, and we don't have perfect science around this, and most people have heard of this thing called a BMI, your body mass index. And what that is is it takes your body's weight 
and it divides it uh, by your height in a squared fashion, in a, in a mathematical formula. And it is not perfect. Let me give you an example. So some of you may know uh, the professional athlete Russell Wilson, a quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks for many years, uh, now moving on to Denver. He is 5 feet 11 inches tall. He is 215 pounds. And so by calculating his numbers, he comes across at the obesity category. But if you look at this guy, he is exquisitely fit, has incredibly low uh, body fat. Uh, and so you can see that the numbers aren't perfect. And that has it doesn't take into consideration your bone structure, et cetera. So let's set that aside. The bottom line is if you are over, overweight category, that puts your BMI at 25 to 30. And if you are obese, that is a greater than 30. And the term you may hear sometimes called morbidly obese, that is greater than a BMI of 40. Now, let's talk about what this really means. What this really means is the risks associated to your body and to, to really to your life. We all know that with increasing obesity, things like diabetes and high blood pressure are substantially concerning. With those things, obviously follow things like heart attacks and strokes and vascular disease. And of course, we've seen in the last two years, obviously COVID has a predilection to make you incredibly ill if you have issues with obesity. But it's not all the same. You may know people who have really large protuberant bellies. This central uh, fat that we see is incredibly at risk for those individuals to developing issues with blood clots, and they have issues with hormonal imbalances and all kinds of other things that get into uh, your metabolic stages uh, and these hormonal cycles, regardless of your age, uh, versus those that may have more fat in their arms and their legs. Uh, but the bottom line is, as you can see, with the growth in the U.S. in this area, we're looking at a very unhealthy society. And with those, not just the, the associated risks with these disease issues, uh, but the mental strain that goes along with them and the cost of healthcare is just tremendous. Yeah, the ongoing cost um, related to some of those concerns, diabetes, high blood pressure. Um, t can you tell me what, um, when someone is, oh, I was looking for the word here. It's like this ongoing thing and it and it's related to their heart. They're like in, but it's like an, people live with it for a congestive heart failure, I think is what I'm looking yeah. for. What okay. What is that? So congestive heart failure can be, boy, a mix of all kinds of things. And really, we've refined the definitions for it in the last decade or so. Suffice it to say that either there's a challenge to the heart's pump uh, that can be related to the pipes, the blood flow around it, uh, or it can be associated with the body where the pump has to overcome incredible barriers like somebody's blood pressure, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you think about it this way. Let's say you have a water pump in your, in your, uh, your system for your house. And it is continually having to work overtime and work overtime and work overtime. Well, that pump begins to fail and not function as effectively. And there's so many different reasons why the heart can be that way. And so those that live with congestive heart failure, they're at risk of having that pump just give itself out. Uh, and we know that they have incredibly high risks of death. Once they start to develop heart failure, uh, so, you know, succumbing to death is not uncommon. And their associated rates of death, much, much higher. Your lifespan incredibly shortened. So again, another substantial risk. And again, obesity is, is, is a triggering issue with this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was suspecting. Um, uh, dementia risk, you and I also have teed up to talk about today. You want to give us, uh, you want to give us one minute on lifestyle, not aging being the best determinant, de determinant of dementia risk? Absolutely. You know, there's a, an interesting study out of Canada. More than 20,000 patients uh, were looked at. And what they said is, hey, you know what? It's, this is more of a, an issue as far as lifestyle. This is not necessarily an aging issue. Sometimes it's the lifestyle over time that may be the issue. But what they found is that if you are an individual that have no risk for dementia, we'll talk about that in just a second, most likely smoking, 
uh, diabetes, hearing loss, you actually have a cognitive capacity, your ability to think and to, to continue to, to exude life from a mental perspective at 20 years younger than your stated age. But they say if you have a single risk factor, that your cognition starts to decline uh, to a rate of a decrease of three years per block. And they break these things down with these modifiable risk factors uh, that they say, hey, you know what? If you don't smoke, that's great. If you stay healthy, you don't have obesity, you don't have diabetes, you don't have high blood pressure, uh, you don't have secondary hearing loss, meaning all these things we know of healthy lifestyle, your rates for dementia drop substantially. And then they identified a couple small other things. Education matters. Uh, if you have issues with traumatic brain injuries, so, you know, where you hit your head or have repetitive head injuries, sometimes we think about sporting injuries, uh, alcohol, substance abuse. We mentioned blood pressure and smoking, diabetes. But another one in there is depression and uh, stress-associated issues. And I tell you, it gets back into the, the simple thing when we talk about our bodies and obesity. We talk about our lifestyle. We have to recognize the value proposition of decreasing stress and understanding the mental-spiritual balance that we have. We need time with God. We need time where we can go ahead and, and lower our stress. And we need to find things that are not necessarily filling us up, but filling our soul. And all of these things will allow for a better cognitive peace, decrease the risks associated with dementia, and more importantly, let us live a much more, much more abundant and uh, robust life. As always, um, thank you so much. Such helpful content. People have lots of questions and appreciating every time you come on. So thank you so much. That's Dr. Brett Nix. You can find him at the Christian Medical and Dental Association, cmda.org, or directly at brettnixmd.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. This is a new Hey, if you just joined us, I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio, where we bring the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of the day, uh, with the goal of encouraging you to walk your faith out into the world that God so loves and to be able to do so in ways that honor Jesus. We're not mad at anybody. We're trying to be the smartest people in the room and uh, bring the mind of Christ to bear. So one thing I'm watching in Washington right now, a group of... uh, Overwhelmingly, the uh, the you're going to hear this reported as a group of largely Democrat lawmakers, um, overwhelmingly Democratic lawmakers introduced legislation in both the House and the Senate yesterday. It is um, it's called the Respect of Marriage Act. And for those of us who understand marriage as defined in a particular way by God, um, this is not the Respect of Marriage Act. But that's its euphemistic name. And so when you hear it referred to, you're going to hear it referred to as the Respect of Marriage Act, and it would codify into law the decision of the Supreme Court in the case known as Obergefell, which um, provided for same-sex marriage protections across the country. The quote-unquote Respect of Marriage Act, um, now before the House and the Senate of the United States of America, would protect um, not only same-sex marriage, but interracial marriage as well, which I see as vastly different issues, but there you go. Um, Justice Thomas's concurrence in the decision of the Supreme Court related to the Dobbs case, which functionally overturned the Roe v. Wade decision um, of the mid-70s in relationship to abortion, is what is is at issue here. So um, Clarence Thomas wrote in his concurring opinion 
that the Dobbs v. Jackson women's health decision um, meant that the court should also, quote, reconsider all of the court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell. Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell um, are decisions establishing uh, the right to contraception, anti-sodomy laws, and then same-sex marriage. Um, And so those are coming to the floor um, this week. That's according to House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, um, issued a statement saying it's going to come to the floor of the House this week. Senate Majority Whip Dick Durbin um, said that when the legislation reaches the Senate, it's going to be a top priority for him. Um, obviously, it has to uh, achieve enough Republican votes votes to um, overcome a filibuster. Um, but that's what's going on in Washington, and I will keep an eye on it for you. One of the things that um, is before us all of all the time is something called critical race theory. Lots of us don't exactly know what it is. There's a lot of confusion among Christians related to it. Um, Doug Grothaus has written a book. Um, we, we like Doug. We like the way he thinks and what he talks about. He is a highly esteemed Christian philosopher and apologist. Um, he travels widely in evangelical circles. He teaches at Uh, Denver Seminary, and he's going to join me next. And we're going to talk about critical race theory from a Christian perspective. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Douglas Grothaus teaches a philosophy at Denver Seminary. He also writes books, and he's here today with his latest book, Fire in the Streets, How You Can Confidently Respond to Incendiary Cultural Topics. Doug, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so big, big subject matter categories today, critical race theory, Marxism, so-called systemic racism, um, let's let's start with this. Uh, Fire in the streets is a pretty provocative title. Um, let's just start there. W- where does this uh, conversation grow out of and what are you seeking to do? I'm thinking back to the summer of 2020 when we saw literally the streets ablaze with riots over the George Floyd death. So I wanted to understand what the reasoning was behind these riots and why people were talking about burning down the entire American system. So I was asked to do a number of articles and interviews about critical race theory. And eventually I realized I needed to write a book on the subject. I'm a philosopher. So I try to get down to the philosophical root system of this. And when I would hear people talking about their understanding of America and what was wrong with America with respect to race, I realized that this was rooted in Marxism and then later in critical theory. And then that came to be called critical race theory. And to show you how, you know, how significant this was, it was to all of us in 2020. I was living in rural Alaska that summer. And my wife, Kathleen, and I wondered if we should just hunker down in rural Alaska for a few years, because 
we weren't even sure it'd be safe to come back to Denver. Mm. Okay. So when we talk about, um, first of all, everybody resonates with that. Like, Mm -hmm. absolutely. There are places and days and times when, right, I don't feel safe in certain places where I feel like I have historically felt very, very safe. So yeah, that's a huge issue and concern. I like this um, idea of getting to the roots of the reasoning behind the riots. Like that is really Mm -hmm. sticky for me. Um, And you say that, you know, if we're going to dig all the way down and get to the root, then we're going to be talking about Marxism. So uh, let's I'm peeling back the layers here. Let's like peel back first, uh, you know, this top layer soil of of quote unquote systemic racism that gets us to a layer of something called critical race theory that gets us to a layer of something called critical theory. And that gets us down to a root layer of Marxism. So I want to start from the bottom and work our way up. Um, can you define Marxism for us and then, you know, sort of connect it to these other things? Right. Well, one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter, Patrice Cullors, said uh, in a video that uh, the leaders of Black Lives Matter were trained Marxists. So I thought, OK, here we go. <laughs> trained Marxists. That means not just people who read Marx or think he was basically right, but people who are activists who want to put into effect some kind of Marxist revolution. So I have a chapter in the book called Fire in the Minds of Karl Marx and his followers. And Marxism is a worldview based on conflict. It's a godless worldview. Marx said that religion had to be criticized. It was just a way that people prop up the oppression of others. So he had this idea that the workers were in conflict with the owners and that eventually the workers would revolt against the owners, against the bourgeois. And this would not be a simple matter of reform. It would be tearing down society as a whole. And so when you see Marxism take root in the USSR or in Red China or in Cambodia, what you saw was terrible oppression. Perhaps 100 million people were killed by their own civil governments in the 20th century, which is a staggering number but it's not far off. Uh, Only God knows the total number. So Marxism is a godless worldview. It's based on the idea of incessant conflict. It's not a reformist idea, but it's a revolutionary idea. Now, when that comes to the United States, that means the whole American system is corrupt. It's rotten down to the root. And that's why you saw these riots. Now, they were certainly occasioned by the death of George Floyd, but all of that was put into a a Marxist storyline that instead of just the wealthy people or the owners oppressing the workers, that dimension was retained, but it was also understood in terms of race and gender. So we have a thinker by the name of Herbert Marcuse, who died in 1979, who was really the philosopher of the new left in the 60s and 70s, saying that we have to expand the categories of oppression. We're not just talking about economic oppression and exploitation where we're talking about the oppression and exploitation of blacks and also uh, what you might call sexual minorities. So people of color and sexual minorities. And the idea is that uh, the white power structure literally uh, with George Floyd had its knee on the back of a black man who died. So the idea was it was not just Derek Chauvin who uh, is responsible for the death of George Floyd. It's the whole American system is uh, systemically 
corrupt and systemically racist. And that was just an emblem of it. And that led to uh, horrible rioting for the entire summer, uh, over a billion dollars of damage, 20 or 30 people killed, police stations burned down, people terrorized. And I wanted to say, what is the cause of this? And Mm -hmm. my book tries to show what the cause is and what's wrong with it. Okay, I want to um, continue the conversation here about the cause, um, but then I also want to get to um, maybe anything that you view as curative. Um, we're going to continue our conversation with Doug Grothaus in just a moment. We're talking about his brand new book, Fire in the Streets. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're returning to our conversation now with Dr. Uh, Douglas Grothaus. Um, You can find him at Denver Seminary. The book we are discussing today is his newest, Fire in the Streets, and it is going to help you confidently respond to incendiary cultural topics today. If you want to know what's at the root of the reasoning behind the riots uh, in America, this is a wonderful exposition of that. It's also very hope-filled, providing, you know, really good biblical understanding of the changes we're experiencing in the world and how we as Christians can then press ourselves into those conversations. So, um, so, so Doug, let's do this. Um, a few things that I think um, are helpful for people to understand in terms of having a conversation about critical race theory. And one of those is, is like just defining some terms. So racial essentialism, what is that? Right. Well, it's the idea that we are to be understood primarily in terms of group identification. So critical race theory divides people by race and to some extent also by uh, gender preference. So the idea is that white people, especially white males, need to be understood as the oppressors. Everything they do in one way or another is oppressive. That's called white privilege. And this supposedly generates white supremacy that has to be maintained at all costs. And then people who are outside of that category are defined as the oppressed, and they're actually really dependent on the oppressors to liberate them. Now, critical race theory, people don't like to put it that way, but that's really the way it is. And that's one of the reasons I critique critical race theory is because it doesn't view people as individuals with some kind of agency, but rather it views things in terms of this big oppressive system and you have pretty clear oppressors just by virtue of race, and you have the oppressed by virtue of race. So that's a kind of essentialism. Now, on the other hand, it says, no, everything is constructed by society. So whiteness is constructed. Uh, 
people of coloredness, so to speak, is constructed. But the way they approach things is that these are fundamental identities and they have to be recognized. And so uh, white people in particular need to check their privilege and uh, critical race theory people even go so far as to say we need to have things like reparations for, for slavery. So I don't think the overall worldview is true, is helpful for society, is certainly not a biblical view, and it's also not part of the American creed, as I call it. Uh, we believe, we should believe as Americans that all people are created by God as equal and have certain inalienable rights. Uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we have the great five freedoms of the First Amendment, such as freedom of religion, speech, press, and so on. And that is a better way of viewing the American system. Not burn it down, but let's reform it according to its best principles. So I've got two chapters in the book on the meaning of America. So it's a very constructive book. It's not just saying the critical race theory is wrong. I think it is. But I have a section, section two, called Burning It All Down. What is America and why should we burn it? Chapter three and then chapter four, America and systemic racism. So I'm trying to find better categories of analysis for what our problems are and then um, solutions. Not solutions. Uh, I'm a conservative, so I don't believe there are solutions. But I believe that there are trade-offs. There are better and worse ways of dealing with um racism and economic problems and so on. Right. There's way there are ways to implement the lessons, um, right. recognizing that uh, the the issues are ultimately not not resolved. I mean, there is going this is going to be an ongoing um, conflict at some level mm-hmm. because human beings are fallen and sinful. Like, right. I mean, there, there's yeah. th- when when you say solutions, that's what you're talking about. Like we are not yeah. going to live in some. Um, in some sort of state where uh, here on earth, short of the return of Jesus, um, you know, where everybody gets along and everybody has enough like right. that. That's not. And, and so people who imagine uh, that uh, that sort of progressive view that we are going to continue mm-hmm. to progress, um, they're just denying they're absolutely denying reality. I mean, things are not getting progressively better. Well, we need a realistic account of the human condition and civil society and civil government to actually make any progress. And it's ironic that the progressives and the far left are always talking about this wonderful future after the revolution somehow, but because they don't understand human nature as having intrinsic limits of knowledge and power, they try to set up programs and civil governments that will fail because it's all based on some future utopia that will be brought about through either a violent revolution or a gradual revolution through the institutions of society. So I have a chapter in my book called A Better Framework. Um, Excuse me, it's called A Christian Framework. It's part of a section called A Better Fire. And I go through the Christian understanding of the human condition and reasons to believe in God and some basic principles of civil government from a Christian viewpoint. And the founders of the country, who were not all Christians by any means, were still influenced by this essentially conservative vision that you cannot bring heaven to earth through civil government. You have to realize the limits of human nature, 
uh, the limits of the governed and the limits that should be placed on those who govern. And I don't want to see the genius of the American system burned down because of racial problems and difficulties. We have been able to reform ourselves over time according to the principles of the American system. And it's been messy and a lot of it has been ugly. But I think years ago, a black conservative writer wrote a book. I love the title. It's called Find a Better Country. So (laughs) you're not going to find a better country. So let's try to reform this country on the basic on the basis of our best principles and in the fear of God. That's really the message of my book. So, Doug, we have a a listener who is um, he's raising uh, a point, but I also there's I think there's a question in it. Um, His point is entropy could certainly be applied in this conversation. Um, And maybe the question is, um, once a country starts down this this very destructive cycle, is there a way to stop the entropy? Well, God alone knows, but we're called to be faithful. Jesus said we are salt and light in society. And I love what God said to the exiles in Jeremiah 29, 7. Seek the welfare of the city to which you're exiled, because as it prospers, so you too will prosper. So I don't know. I think things are serious in our country. I see people questioning the whole rationale for the American way of civil government. And I take that to be dangerous. So the book is really a call to understand the fire in the streets and the fire in the minds of men and women that is causing this. And then uh, to have a better fire, to have the fire of uh, the will of God, of the kingdom of God, realizing that Christ and his kingdom transcend any country. So America could completely go up in flames and the kingdom of God would not be damaged. And we should be grateful for that. But at the same time, we should be thankful for all the blessings and goodness and possibilities that we have as Americans and work hard to preserve everything that is good, to use biblical language, to strengthen the things that remain. Thank you for fanning the flame of uh, the positive fire of the Holy Spirit among us. Um, Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for your ongoing work. You guys can um, find Dr. Grothaus uh, on Facebook and Twitter. You might just uh, go directly to his website, Douglas Grothaus, G-R-O-O-T-H-U-I-S dot com, or just look for the book, Fire in the Streets. Doug, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, I'm going to circle back to where we started the day, and it's a conversation about John chapter 5, verse 24. It is the verse of the day. If you sign up for the daily verse of the day at MyFaithRadio.com, it'll be in your inbox every day with some beautiful artwork. Um, Other great stuff uh, there. We are giving away books this summer in big bundles, and so go to MyFaithRadio.com and sign up for a, a big bundle of books this summer. And then while you're there, I would really appreciate it if you would share with us your Faith Radio story. Maybe there is a particular way in which a segment of this program, something you've heard here, has inspired or encouraged you. 
um, to to do something, to have a conversation, to do something differently, to think about something differently. We'd love to hear that story. So you can share that at MyFaithRadio.com as well. John five twenty four. Jesus to his disciples, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They'll never be condemned for their sins. They've already passed from death to life. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.